Recording live from the Hoban Law Group here in Denver, Colorado, I'm your host, Eric Singular. We're sitting alongside president and founder of the Hoban Law Group, Bob Hoban. Today, we are talking about the voice of the Mexican cannabis industry, and we are joined by president of GPIC, Eric Ponce. Eric, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you, Eric. Thank you for having me here. I'm very excited to be on this call. And I want to start with this because we have talked uh, a number of times with both our Hoban Law Group international attorney, Luis Armanderas, and others down in Mexico about why the country is so well positioned uh, to be a player in the cannabis industry. But I want to put it to you, Eric, why Mexico? Uh, well, as you guys are quite aware, uh, Mexico, other than the, the, the weather and the geographical position, one of the main interesting points is uh, Mexico has a lot of uh, trade uh, deals uh, with a lot of countries, not just the new uh, USMCA uh, uh, that we just ratified, but also uh, we have de- trade deals with Europe and we have tra- uh, trade deals with uh, the rest of Latin America. So we, we have that uh, well position, of course. Uh, of course, we have the regional uh, weather-wise uh, advantages. We also have, of course, uh, cheap labor that we often talk about that. Uh, but of course, also being uh, so close to you guys, the the largest consumer in the world, uh, that also gives us a, quite an advantage in terms of uh, manufacturing. Especially, specifically, I do believe that Mexico is going to be a power uh, power player in terms of growing and manufacture in terms of cannabis products. Well, we we absolutely believe that too, and it's been so fascinating to uh, watch the development of these laws. And I know Bob, you were in Mexico, I believe it was February of this year, uh, to meet with some members of, of Congress, and maybe you want to speak to that a little bit. But, uh, Eric, give us a little bit of background on GPIC. How did it start, and where is it at today? Of course. Uh, we started last year, 2019. Uh, basically, uh, the main reason is that we, uh, we, several companies, started figuring out that uh, the the Mexican landscape wasn't really uh, moving forward at all in terms of the decision makers, the senators, the the Congress people. Uh, they were they were all over the place. There wasn't a unified voice, so to speak. And a lot of you know a lot of companies, uh, basically with their uh, international background, international experience, uh, were approaching these uh, these people, these uh, congressmen, and saying, "Hey, this is this is the way we do it here in Canada. This is the way we do it here in California. This is the way we do it here in Oregon." Uh, so th- there was a lot of uh, noise around that, uh, good intention, of course, but there was a lot of noise. There was a lot of uh, non-consensus uh, about what, what should we do as a Mexican landscape. Uh, so the, the, the thing is, where the, the first five companies, uh, including Canopy, among others, including also my company, ICANN, uh, we started uh, getting together together. Uh, to discuss what, what is what are the next steps? What should, what, what should we do? How how to best approach uh, these decision makers that they don't understand about cannabis and they don't have to understand about cannabis, but they do understand about laws and regulations. Uh, so we started like that, and we finally uh, finally we just created this uh, legal framework uh, we we call HEPIC, GPIC, uh, GPIC, and basically uh, that's how we formed. Uh, like you said, we we started with five companies. And now we're 20 companies strong. Uh, and other than companies, we also have uh, very good uh, alliances uh, throughout the continent. 
uh, we are connected with Canada, we're connected with the NCIA in, in the States, we're connected with Colombia, we're connected with Peru, uh, we're connected with Ecuador. So uh, basically we're trying to uh, set up a, a new way to start talking about cannabis, not just about Mexico, not just about our country, but out throughout the region. No, and it's it's fantastic that you're doing that, and certainly it's needed. It's a, it's a great mission. Uh, that region is extraordinarily interesting for a number of reasons. We've talked a lot about how Latin America, the cannabis reform policies had begun uh, under this sort of export-only model in recent years. And then now, as you point out, in Mexico, and we've seen it in Brazil, we see it in Argentina, we see it in Colombia, we see it in Ecuador, where domestic distribution of cannabis in some form, some CBD, some marijuana, some a little bit of everything, depending on the regulatory structure, is being allowed. Now, with the, the golden goose for that export-only model was always the European Union. And the European Union, we've seen that sort of hit the brakes. We've seen the novel foods concept and that regulation get in the way of widespread distribution, which did exist for the first couple of years uh, uh, as, as these, these international shipments were occurring. But now we're looking at uh, retracted, uh, significantly curtailed distribution markets in, the, in Europe. So when you piece together Mexico and Brazil and Colombia and, and a couple of other places, you're talking about hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of millions of people with nationalized health care systems. How, and, and, and that should put us in a place where that, in my mind, becomes the most interesting region in the world for consumers uh, because of the fact that you've got nationalized healthcare systems actively promoting and involved in that secondary regulation process. How important in your mind are these healthcare systems and their buy-in? And what have been some of the challenges you've seen in Mexico? Extremely. I think you, uh, Jude, uh, you're talking about a very precise point. Uh, in my personal experience, because my company is focused on medical cannabis, uh, one of the main things we're looking for is approaching this national health system, as you just said. And there is a quite a big possibility that we can start with, for example, CBD-based products or CBD-based uh, therapies or CBD-based uh, uh inclinations towards bringing in uh, new products or new uh, health uh, uh, satisfaction to, to, to the people here. So for sure, as you said, uh, Brazil, Mexico, and the rest of the countries, we have this national health system. We strongly believe there is a, uh, a key point here, especially here in Mexico. I've been pushing forward for, for this for the, for the last year or so, that uh, we believe that Mexico can actually even be one of the first, the first countries or the first country to actually incorporate at least CBD into the national health system. That, that is kind of a, a dream of mine. I do believe it's possible, and I do believe we have a lot of, uh, a lot to teach to the world uh, doing that. And, and in doing so, the standardization of the product material, the standardization of the delivery systems and how it's treated as a healthcare material. Because, you know, here's the interesting thing. We've seen all this talk about medicinal cannabis. We saw medical marijuana laws open up in the U.S. What that meant in the U.S. really didn't have a lot to do with medicine. And I'm not saying even for a second that cannabis doesn't provide medicinal benefit, nor or that the studies don't support that. We know that it does. But what I'm saying in the United States, it, there's no, there's no health care systems involved in using medicinal cannabis. This is 
is a system that creates an exception to criminal behavior or criminal repercussions, and it ensures consistency for the purchasers of these products on a state-by-state level. How can the regulations and the standards, um, how can Mexico be a leader in that respect um, with consideration of the fact that it is working with a healthcare system because that is not the case around the world even when you look at frankly other countries in europe which are far more advanced on the quote-unquote medicinal cannabis side of things it's really it's still done through a nuanced process that allows for standardization but it hasn't really brought in the the medical side uh, the physician side of the industry to make sure that things are done consistently and that they're done based on you know, universal standards? Uh, for sure. I do believe that, uh, again, with this national health system, uh, unlike, uh, like you just said, in the States, that is more like a free-for-all uh, kind of market uh, without proper regulation or clear guidelines of what actually, no, we don't even know where to, what to call medical cannabis versus recreational or adult use uh, in most states. So, yeah, for sure, I do believe that uh, as long as we do have certain uh, quality controls and standardized process, which we already have, by the way. Uh, I know Mexico is, uh, sometimes we, we look down to Mexico as a third world country uh, with a lot of problems. For sure, we do have that. But we also have, uh, we, we, do, we don't have processes. We don't have uh, a health system. Uh, so I do believe that uh, cannabis can be properly integrated into what we already have, into the process we already have, uh, without obviously uh, being too too hard on the regulations, uh, meaning that if we want to see a product, a medical cannabis product I- I- in the country, we don't have to wait five or six years to have clinical trials and the like. There is a pro- proper ways to actually bring it into the country, obviously with quality controls, uh, obviously with re- legal and regulation uh, on, 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 on the basis. However, uh, with this uh, uh, one country, one health, uh, well, one national health system makes a lot of sense to actually uh, even uh, bringing new people, new investors, bringing these big companies that want to uh, introduce uh, new cannabis products or want to introduce uh, new formulations or new presentations and the like. And I do believe that Mexico can be not only a testing ground, but also a way to follow how to properly introduce uh, medical cannabis, for example. Well, you know, what? what's so exciting is the work that you're doing because we see this here in the states we've seen it in a lot of places the importance of bringing together a unified voice for an industry especially when you are working with policymakers and when you are trying to shape the regulations that are ultimately going to guide this industry and i know we are extremely excited to see what is happening in mexico because it is it is as a country with such a large population uh, and all the steps that are being taken, it is extremely well positioned to really uh, have a fruitful uh, economic boost from from cannabis and even to some degree as a way to uh, prevent some of the economic fallout that is expected to come as a result of COVID. But we know that there are some laws, there are some secondary laws and some other regulatory aspects and legal aspects that will be shaping out in Mexico this fall and early winter. Uh, Eric, will you just take us through some of those important dates to look out for and what you are expecting uh, to see? Uh, Of course. Uh, One of the things that uh, 
that probably you guys already know that uh, the audience probably already know, but I, I want to make clear is that in Mexico, when we talk about cannabis, we talk about something that is already legal. Since 2017, Mexico legalized cannabis for medical use, for research, and for industrial use. So we are already talking about a legal, uh, a legal status in Mexico. The only thing missing on that side, on the medical cannabis side, is the regulations, as you well said, uh, which brings me back to the first important date. We have a deadline, September 9th, uh, which is basically a very weird deadline because part of it was self-imposed by the health authorities and part was a, a imposition from the judiciary system because basically we as uh, citizens start uh, suing the government because that's basically the word, the word for it. And we started suing the government because we didn't see any uh, uh, we, we saw them very passive in terms of bringing in the regulations on par onto standards. So uh, we started suing the government and basically the judicial system said, fine, you, uh, the government has a deadline, 9, uh, September 9th, to create this, or rather to publish these secondary laws and regulations. Uh, that's one of the most things that we're excited about. Uh, we do believe that that's going to be a... Uh, uh, a proper uh, way to to move forward. We do believe that the authorities are going to accomplish uh, that publication before the deadline. Uh, and we are going to see, I do believe that in, a, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to see a draft of the regulation being published because by law here in Mexico, we have to publish the draft first. Uh, and I do believe that we're going to see that in the next couple of years, uh, weeks. And uh, the other important deadline is the general uh, law for cannabis that also includes other juice uh, includes growing, includes import and export. That deadline uh, is December 15th of this year as well. One of the objectives of uh, your organization is to ensure that there's standardized regulations when these markets develop. Um, and you talked a little, a lot about what what's happening in Mexico and, and those timelines are critically important. But how does one create uh, international regulatory standards? How do you develop something that is a global marketplace? Uh, and it's happening already on a you know patchwork scale. But how do you develop something on a global marketplace when you know? Of course, you got the UN Convention, which clearly treats cannabis products in a very narrow and strict enforcement-like fashion. Um, we've got laws differing country by country by country, even that the, the industrial hemp laws differ country by country by country. I mean, think about this for a second. If you receive a permit to grow industrial hemp in Colombia or Ecuador, mm -hmm. where they're allowed 1% THC, and that material is extracted, can you import that into a country that has a 0.3% standard for THC like the United States? Or is that material derived from something that would be otherwise unlawful in the United States because it's above 0.3%. Does that hemp, that non-psychoactive cannabis grown in country X, uh, does it is it allowed to be imported as a hemp derivative or is it treated as as marijuana above 0.3%? That's not it's more of a rhetorical question unless you've got some thoughts on it. But my point to you is there's this patchwork of laws all over the world. There's no uniform standards. Everything flies in the face of the U.N. treaties. How do you promote a developed regula regulated market with a baseline? 
Uh, I think, Joe, this, this is a very important question. I do believe that uh, collaboration among the, com- the uh, among the countries, uh, among the region is extremely important. That's why I started saying that uh, our organization, one of the main things, one of the main goals is this cooperation between uh, other countries. And not ju- it's not just about cooperation. It's about sharing information. It's about sharing best practices, but also uh, inviting their uh their leaders, their thought leaders, their regulators, their, uh, their decision makers uh, into webinars, to panels, into uh, very specific and very on-point uh, proposals uh, in order to create this uh, cooperation among the region. That's one of the main things uh, we're doing as, as a group. Uh, the other thing is, and you mentioned it, Europe as well, for example, the GMP. Uh, people were rushing into uh, bringing in GMP certifications, and it turns out the GMP in Europe is quite quite different than the GMP that people were thinking about that. So I do believe there, there, there is need to be more communication. Uh, we need, we as uh, thought leaders in terms of the cannabis industry, we need to stay more connected. We need to stay uh, more on point and saying, this is not going to work unless we talk uh, to each other and we share information and best practices. I I strongly believe uh, that with this uh, way we are uh, doing these connections, uh, again, we are talking to Canada, we're talking to the States, we're talking to Peru, Ecuador, Jamaica, uh, Chile, Argentina, all the region. uh, I do believe that it serves a greater purpose. And that great purpose is, as you said, at least try to standardize because we, uh, cannabis is not just a plant that grows for just one country and does that country stays in there. Uh, we need international cooperation for sure. From a philosophical perspective, does the cannabis industry need to adapt to existing regulations for other products, other materials, or does the government need to create new rules that are specific for the cannabis industry? Uh, that's also a very good question. I personally believe that there is no need to uh, overburden uh, the regulatory system. I do believe that if something works and if we see cannabis as any other uh, source uh, of, uh, of wellness and of, uh, uh, of byproducts and, uh, and if we uh, subject ourselves to the uh, quality controls and uh, already uh, processes already in place, I do believe we don't need uh, extra or very specific just for cannabis regulations. Uh, there may be certain things that we just yes, we need to clarify. For example, like you just said, what, what is the difference between hemp in Mexico and hemp in the States? If it's the 0.3% versus the 1%, yeah, it's going to be an issue uh, for sure. But other than that, if we treat cannabis as we treat already other substances already in place around the world, I do believe that we already have strong processes that can already communicate through international treaties, through international uh, agreements, and we can already start working with our our international pals. Eric, that was very well said, and uh, certainly something that we talk about a lot is the uh, needing to really create a new regulatory structure for the cannabis plant, whether it's, uh, the industrial hemp side of the plant or the marijuana side of the plant. Uh, but I want to ask you this, uh, cause we had on memo Nieto last week and, and he was so thrilled, uh, and so excited about the application of industrial hemp as a way to replace plastics. And given the uh, the population of Mexico and the average amount of plastic that a, a uh, normal citizen uses, there is a great opportunity to reduce our plastic pollution. I just want to ask you, because you are so passionate and so well-spoken 
uh, about this plant and about its many uses and its potential. Is there something that really excites you uh, for an, a, an industrial use or a medical use of cannabis uh, in, in Mexico's culture, I guess? It is. And again, I, my, my strong belief comes for the medical side and I'm a medical uh, cannabis user myself. I started in the whole business because I needed a, uh, a, a medicine that didn't have all the nasty side effects that I was having with other uh, products and other prescriptions. So I do have a personal uh, stake in, in the medical side of the business. Uh, that being said, I'm also very passionate and also very excited about the industrial use for sure. I'm also all, all in for adult use, uh, correct adult use for wellness and recreation for sure. Uh, but again, one of the things that really, really excites me is all the things we've been discovering, uh, so to speak, in terms of medical use for cannabis. Uh, there's, uh, there's a lot of uh, rumors, there's a lot of publications about, for example, cannabis helping, especially CBD, for COVID, for example. Uh, in, not, not in terms of treating it, but at least in terms of uh, helping recover through a very nasty COVID uh, disease, for example. So that, that kind of things are really exciting because we are kind of rediscovering uh, these very old and ancient plants, uh, but we're rediscovering with modern science and with proper studies. So one of the things that uh, I'm excited, but also I'm a little bit concerned about at the same time, is about education. It's about teaching the uses, the proper uses of this plant, either uh, industrial use hemp or medical cannabis or uh, adult use for recreation and wellness. Uh, but we need to teach the general population. We need to teach our authorities. We need to teach basically everyone because uh, we can talk about hemp and the great uses they have for industry and for plastic uh, instead of uh, using plastics and the like. But if people don't know about it, we're not going to do much about it. Uh, so I strongly believe that uh, the boys can be raised through the medical side. It's easier, as you guys know, that it's easier to approach uh, even these parts of the population that, that are not uh, much in favor of the of the plant as it, as it is, but at least are in favor of the medical side. So I do believe that this uh, strong point on the medical side is the way to go to open the rest of the priorities or, or diversification of the plant, for sure. Well, Eric, you are a wonderful spokesperson and educator, and we are so thrilled that you are taking these steps to create that unified voice. Uh, you can learn more about the work that you're doing at gpic.mx. And Eric, we will uh, we will watch the developments closely this fall, and fingers crossed, and we'd love to have you on again soon to, uh, to keep discussing. And if there's anything we can ever do for you by way of being a resource, please reach out. Thanks for joining us of tonight. Course. Of course. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hoban Minute. Do you have any ideas for episode topics or guests? We would like to hear from you. Reach out to us at media at hoban.law and stay tuned for more on the Hoban Minute.